Welcome to another week, another day of the We're Not As Dumb As We Think We Are podcast. My name is, of course, Aaron. And I'm Bill. It's good to be back again. And so we're going to switch things up a little differently today. Usually I ask Bill some random nonsense question. Ridiculous question. You, you could say ridiculous. But today, Bill is going to ask me a question. And I'm fairly excited because I just love to talk about anything. I think the question's a good one and makes a lot more sense than some of the ones that I've had to answer. So here's today's question for you, Aaron. It's a uh, it's a multiple choice question. Okay. Uh, which would you uh, choose if you had to pick just one of the following? Now you can have a, a lunch date with Shaquille O'Neal. Okay. You can have a lifetime supply of uh, cab or uh, Sour Patch Kids. Okay. Or you can get to watch a Rams game from the sideline. Oh, man. Which of those would you get to choose if you could only choose one? You get a lunch with Shaquille O'Neal. That's lunch. You get a lifetime supply of Sour Patch Kids candy, which you like. Uh-huh. Or you get to watch a Rams game from the sideline. So I'll do a process of elimination. I really do like Sour Patch Kids, and that would be great. But a lifetime li- supply. But a lifetime supply really wouldn't do me any good in the sense because I, I would just eat and eat and eat those Sour Patch Kids. I would eventually have to get dentures no matter how much I brush my teeth, and I could never burn enough calories to consume the amount of sour. Because if I had a life, like I have no control. If there's a bowl of candy that I really like next to me, like I can't just like oh, I'll just eat a little. Like no, I just eat all. So I'll cut that one out. I love the idea of going to a Rams game and being on the sideline. Like that would be really cool and fun and exciting. Um, but I think I would choose the meal with Shaquille O'Neal because Shaq is my all-time favorite athlete. And um, I mean, it's cool to be on the sideline and stuff like that. But I could actually have a conversation with my all-time favorite athlete to eat a meal with him and talk and ask him any questions I want and. Hopefully, the stipulation, too, is open and honest and yeah. tells me the questions that... So you t- you take an hour lunch with Shaq as opposed Who's to... Who's only an hour? Well, our, you know, With lunch. good friends, it's sometimes two hours. Two-hour two lunch <laughs> with Shaq as opposed to probably six hours on the sideline with the Rams. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, that's interesting. That was a good question. Why, thanks. Um, so, yeah, there's no good segue into our topic from, from that question. No, there, and there usually isn't. But, so, today... We have an interesting topic that I'm excited to talk about because I think it's going to be fun and interesting. See, we're going to talk about Jesus today. And specifically, we're going to talk about what was the most important thing Jesus ever did, but with one stipulation. Bill and I both agree, and probably most Christians around the world would agree, the most important thing Jesus ever did was to die and then resurrect. Maybe someone would say die, maybe someone would say resurrect. We're just going to combine the two. That Jesus was crucified and then resurrected to life. We would agree that that's the most important. Now, Bill, why would you say that ultimately is the most important? Now, we're not going to talk about this long. We're going to talk about other things, but we're going to cover this one first. Well, as Aaron said, I think everybody would agree that's the most important because that's the basis of our salvation is that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And because he conquered death and conquered sin, we can live forever with God. So that that's the whole thing right there. That's that's our, our way into heaven is to identify with Jesus, receive that gift and his death and, and resurrection for our sins and, and God displaying his power over death. That's what it's all about. So it's really not even close. There's nothing yeah. really close to that. No, I agree. There's nothing that even really butts up against it. It's simply put, it's most important because Jesus 
death and resurrection saves us from our sin that we can't save ourselves from. Nothing more important than that. Now, got that out of the way. Now the fun part is what Bill and I think is the most important thing Jesus ever did outside of that. Now we both have our number one, we both think and we don't agree, but that's fine. This isn't this is matter of opinion whether I think I'm right or Bill thinks he's right. I usually think I'm right about everything, and I learned at a marriage conference recently that I have to like not be like that. Oh, really? I know, it's surprising. After almost eight years of marriage, I just now learned that you can't always be right, apparently. I, I bet Kara's happy you learned that. She is thrilled. Thrilled. So Bill and I are going to talk about a few things that we think are like honorable mentions. They're not the most important thing we think Jesus did, but we think they're worth mentioning. So, Bill, you have... Uh, a few. I do. So, I have a second and a third place. So why don't you share your, your third place? Uh, my third place one, the one I have listed third, at least in my mind, is a story that kids know from preschool. It's uh, Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. And you know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man can was he, he. Can you sing it? He climbed can up in the sycamore tree. I could, but I, I won't for we were trying to get Can you rap songs. it? You have, a I feel I, like, a good grasp. I could. I could rap it. That would be even Go. more amazing, wouldn't it? Okay, that's all right. That's it. That's, that's all enough. I got. That's enough. Okay. Uh, well, I think that's important. It's in Luke 19, if you're following along in your Bible. Uh, <laughs> if you are. If you are. Well, that's where it's at. Yeah. I think that uh, that that little episode that we teach our children and we all know about, uh, I, I think demonstrates for me the fact that Jesus was for um, regular people or imperfect, even, even imperfect people. Uh, Zacchaeus was far from perfect in and, and about every way you could imagine and, and yet Jesus had time to call him out and we talked about you having lunch with with uh with Shaq well Jesus had lunch with Zacchaeus and I kind of think that was pretty cool and so I do I get to actually have lunch with Shaq was that like are you gonna set that up for me no no oh, but okay. but perhaps someday you'll have lunch with Jesus maybe. and maybe Zacchaeus too maybe. for all I know but uh I just thought that was really a a good message that Jesus is for everyone and it, it, most religious people wouldn't have done it but uh but he did and I think that that is significant, it's important because it shows that his uh, life, his mission, his message was uh, was for everybody, including the the less than perfect. Yeah, I agree. That's pretty important, and it's also pretty cool because I mean, it, we could somehow relate that to our culture. One of us going out with a homeless person, or going and visiting um, a convict in prison and having a meal with them. You know, looking as like, hey, you're no less than me, even though you've made these decisions in our society that are looked down upon. But yeah, that definitely, probably, in, I know on that day, Jesus to ha hang out with Zacchaeus, the religious leaders are like, oh, how dare he? And yeah, it was like, you know, the ultimate social faux pas. Yeah, faux pas. Yeah, What's faux pas even mean? That's French for... Uh, oh, it's French. Bad act. I bad, think act. bad act. Yeah. Oh. The guy who played... Uh, um, Darth Vader in the first uh, what's his name Hayden Christensen yes he was a bad actor I don't think so I like him but that's a whole, <laughs> a whole other thing but yes. if you think he's a faux pas that's fine with me so I really only have two that I'm going to share I have some things I think were pretty cool I don't know if they're important like I think it's really cool that Jesus walked on water that definitely showed you like I, I've tried to walk on water um, I failed every time unless it's ice I would have liked to have seen that I just tried to run and then I just fall in. I, yeah, that would have been something to it's, see, all right. It's not as entertaining as you think it was, I promise you. Uh -huh. You've seen me do dumber stuff, I'm sure. Maybe. So Jesus walking in water, that's pretty cool. And another, Jesus performed a miracle. He healed the blind man. The way he did it, and, and Bill might know the reference off the top of his head, but he, to heal the man, he spit in dirt, made mud, and then ripe, 
wipe the mud on the guy's eyes. I want to say John 8. Let's see if that's Again, right. not like the most important thing, but a pretty cool moment to know that Jesus can use literally dirt turned into mud with his own spit to make someone see. Like, I, I can't do that. I don't have the power to do that. Bill doesn't have the power to do that. No, I don't. So those are the things cool. But this is my number two. The thing I think is most important that Jesus did is in um, early on, right after Jesus' baptism, Jesus goes into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. Were you right, John? John 9. John 9. He was close. He goes into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And once he's done fasting, Satan comes and tempts him in three ways. And every time Jesus quotes scripture, he uses God's word to, to overcome the temptation and never sins. And then eventually Satan leaves and and the temptation is over. Now, why I think this is important is, is two things. It, it shows the humanity in Jesus. It shows that Jesus is an actual human being. We sometimes, yes, we should put Jesus high and, and lift it up, but also shows that Jesus was a human. He struggled the same things, or not struggled. He faced the same temptations we faced and overcame them. So that gives us hope. And then Jesus fasted for 40 days, which is humanly possible. You can do that and, and survive. Um... And the second thing I like about it is that Jesus used God's word to help him overcome temptations. Now, why all this is important is it shows us that I can relate to Jesus. Jesus is relatable because he was tempted, yet he didn't struggle to, well, he, I don't know if he struggled to whether to make the decision to sin or not, but he overcame it. He chose not to. So that means a human being gives me that hope knowing that Jesus, yes, was human, human, faced temptation and overcame it. And so I have that same possibility as well. I like that. I think that's good. I had a question for you as I was thinking and listening to you, to you talk. I, I thought, do you think most people grasp or understand Jesus' humanity? I mean, do they get it that he was fully, he was fully God? I think they get that part mm -hmm. maybe easier, but that also he understood and felt things like we do that he's fully man. I think, well, I think more as history goes on, people seem to grasp Jesus' humanity more. I feel like that's like a hip thing to talk about. Like Jesus was this cool dude and and went through things we did. I think not always, but I know it's a fun discussion to have, you know, like could Jesus actually sin? Did he have the physical ability to sin? Or was that like impossible because if Jesus sinned, his resurrection or death was pointless. He's not, he wasn't that perfect sacrifice. Right. But I think Jesus Jesus could have chose to sin, but he chose, chose not to. Um, but do people... I think it's a hard thing to grasp at times, the whole Jesus is fully God and fully man, but yet Jesus still emptied himself of some of the divine. Like God, like Jesus wasn't wasn't a omnipresent. He couldn't be um, at all places at all times, whether he was all-knowing. There are signs in Scripture that he knew stuff that, like about the adulterous woman and all those things. He knew stuff about her that he wouldn't have known. He did. You would only have known by talking to her, and Jesus hadn't talked to her yet, so... Yeah, I think I think that's interesting, and and I I think well, I think you're right. People are wrestling with it nowadays a lot, and the idea of him emptying himself is a, is a hard one to to grasp. But I think I think you catch that that the situations that they face that we face, uh, Jesus has faced them too, and has mm. overcome them. Yeah, and I I just think that we would be able to to perhaps be stronger in our walk if we were able to know that. That Jesus has done this, and because of not by our strength, but by His strength, we can overcome it too. Yeah, because oh yeah. saying no to temptation is one of the hardest things you do. Oh yeah, it's it's the worst. It's, and I think sometimes, and I don't want to focus on Satan, but it's obviously Satan has figured out a way to to figure out us to to 
what will get us to sin the easiest, what temptations, how to do it, and how to overcome it, or how to give in. But the good thing is, is Scripture teaches us that Jesus, God, will provide ways out of that temptation, and Jesus himself got out of that temptation. It's just something we need to remind ourselves with. Yeah, I think that's good. Makes sense. So, Bill, My what is two? your number two? Number two. Number two on the countdown uh, is in Matthew 8. Um and there uh, a man with leprosy comes and kneels before Jesus saying Lord if you're willing you can make me clean and in verse 3 says Jesus reached out his hand touched the man I'm willing he said be clean and immediately his leprosy was cleansed and, and, and you might just read that and pass right by that but I think there's something really significant there in those first uh, uh, oh, dozen words or so there it says Jesus reached out his hand and touch the man. I, I think that is just incredible. Mm-hmm. You know anything about leprosy in the time of Jesus? It was the dreaded disease. There was no no uh, cure for it. People died from leprosy. They were they, they contracted leprosy. They would have to go out to uh, a leper colony, be away from their family, be away from everyone. In the Jewish culture, they have to say unclean if someone came near them. Uh, it was just a death sentence. And, and nobody hardly even spoke to lepers or got close, much less touched them. And I think it's fascinating that in this healing, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. He didn't have to. He could have spoken. He had spoken plenty of times healings into existence. But he didn't with this guy. He reached out and touched him. And I, I think that's my number two because Jesus touches the untouchable, the people that nobody else would touch. He does. Mm-hmm. And I just think that, again, shows us something about the nature and character of Jesus, his incredible love for people that no one else would have time for or the stomach to even be near. He touches them. Just, a, I, I think, a remarkable thing. And people read past it very quickly without really thinking about it. But I think that they should. Oh, yeah. And that's... So, I thought of a question just like you did because I aspire to be just like Bill and three ways in my life I don't feel like he does but (laughs) but I appreciate you saying that so obviously in that day culture the untouchables or the people of were little because of a physical physical issue and today we live in a much more medically advanced society other places around the world where it's different but in American culture it's not like oh they have this disease but for us who who do you think in Christian for Christians who they would look at as like oh that's someone I shouldn't associate with where Jesus would uh, transgender people, mm-hmm. uh, gay and lesbian people, mm-hmm. we have a bias against them, I, I think. And I, I guess I understand to some degree where it comes from because I, I believe there to be a pretty intense political agenda that some on that side push. But, but by and large, as far as people go, I, I think sometimes we view them as untouchable, and we shouldn't. Yeah, Jesus loves them, and we need to be able to love them too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that again, there's a, always the fine line between love and the truth, and we want don't want to give the idea that God, you know, condones a lifestyle at the same time He loves, and and, and really it's true about my own lifestyle too. I have plenty of sins, so yeah, I I, I think God doesn't always condone of that either. So, but I I think those are the untouchables, at least as I would describe it. Yeah. Because you'll never be able to lead someone to Christ without first going and giving them the time to build a relationship. I think you have to love them first and then show them the love of Christ. Yeah. And if there needs to be change in a life, he's the one that brings it about, not us. Yeah, exactly. Eventually, they'll come to an understanding of who God is and what he expects to be a follower of him. And then, really, that's that's not on, it's on us maybe to show and communicate, but eventually God's going to do some powerful change in people's mm-hmm. lives that 
we don't have the ability to do. If they're open to it, Holy Spirit yeah. can do all kinds of things. Yeah, I would agree with that's who I would say our society. I mean, there's probably others as well and different. You could go lots of places. I mean, oh, yeah. Some places, there's different people of different races. I mean, yeah. it, you can. there's a lot of things yeah. that are. I think that would be common, the ones you mentioned, though, that would be on top of the list. But sometimes, <laughs> I don't want to get into this because it's political, but sometimes I think even political lines, like, oh, you're on a different political party than me, so therefore, <laughs> you're untouchable. I'm never going to have a, a real conversation with you. I do think that happens in our culture. Yes, yeah. I agree. It's like, oh my goodness. So number two. What's your number two? Or is that, I, you I, I only had two. You I'm only a, got one left. So okay. I, I, my threes were basically fun stuff that I thought cool oh. things Jesus said. Not necessarily they okay. were important. Well, now we're ready for our number ones. These next items are the things that are the most important thing Jesus did aside from his death and resurrection. So my number one is the Last Supper, the whole evening. And most of it's recorded in the book of John, like John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Um, and it starts out with the night with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And I think that's a great way to start the conversation of what's number one is Jesus chose to wash his disciples' feet. Now, in that culture, they walked everywhere. There was dirt roads. They had sandals. It was custom when you enter someone's home, a servant would wash um, the person's feet. And if you're correct me wrong, but usually that's a job for one of the lower servants. That's a lowly thing to do. Wash feet. And no one would expect Jesus to do it. And so these feet are dirty and gross. And so Jesus chooses to wash his feet. And even Peter's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, I should wash your feet. And he's like, no. And then Peter's like, well, wash my whole body then. And then he's like, no, I just need to wash your feet, dude. And the point Jesus was making is, is that I didn't come just here to for you to serve me or for me to be held to this high esteem was no to show you to give you an example of what it means to put others first we live in such a selfish culture we're selfish not just culture society the earth us as human beings we're we tend to be selfish and jesus says here's the example of to be selfless and ultimately show that act by dying on the cross and so i think that's such important because that's something we need to learn and know and understand as human beings that if we're going to lead anyone to christ if we're going to point anyone to jesus like it starts with being Selfless, because it's way easier for me to sit at home and do what I want and not interact with people than it is to put myself out there to build relationship with people. As we talked about, maybe the untouchables or the people that no one wants to talk to. So Jesus gives us that point, and then the rest of the night. And here's why I think it's so important: is so that night before Jesus crucified, he has this meal with these disciples, and he he talks to them about a variety of things, and then he prays for them. And I feel like. He talks about how I'm the vine and I'm you're the branches. You must abide. You must remain in me if you want to accomplish anything. He prays that they'll be united, that that God will um, allow them to work together. Prays for future believers. Prays for them to be safe from Satan's temptations. I feel like it was the springboard. That night was like the springboard that helped those disciples know and understand what Jesus is plan for them was I mean later he he tells them in the Great Commission after he he resurrects but it's just like if he doesn't spend that night just encouraging them praying for them and giving that example I don't know if we're in the same place we are today with the church because ultimately those 11 men um, not counting Judas um, were the reason the church was started that they chose to devote their lives to spreading the gospel and if it wasn't for that night I mean, the resurrection was a pretty powerful thing, but I think that was another important thing that added to it to allow them to be encouraged, excited, and equipped to go out 
and spread the gospel. Well, I think that makes sense. And I, I, I like the idea that Jesus prayed for them. They didn't even understand it all then, but he prayed that the Comforter would come and he would make it clear to them. Yeah. I think that I think he hit on that really well. I agree yeah. with that. And he made it just so clear that you're not going to accomplish anything without me. And, and I know you don't know a lot about disciples, but like Peter, example, he's kind of this hard-headed guy that seems like he can do it all himself, and Jesus is making it clear that night, no, 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 no. Without me, you do nothing. Without the power of God and through the Son, the Son of God, this doesn't happen. Okay. I have a question for you, and, and, it's, and it's, it's because you chose that event, and I liked your whole answer with mm -hmm. the washing of the feet and all of that, mm -hmm. and then leading into the, the supper and then the prayer. Uh, my question to you is kind of a weird one, but that's what, <laughs> that's what we do. But uh, I, I want you to put yourself there at that supper, uh -huh. and I want you to hear Peter make his statement. I want you to have had your feet washed. What's your response? You see Judas do what he's doing. So you're not Judas, you're not Peter. You see Judas do what he's doing, and you hear Peter say, the rest of these guys might you know, deny you, betray you, but I'll never will. How do you, how do you respond? What do you think? I feel like I'd be like, what's going on? What this is, like Jesus is real. I like Jesus is laying it out here. He's really pulling out all the stops, mm -hmm. and so I think my response would be like something's coming. And even though Jesus told them he was going to be crucified and all this stuff, they still didn't believe it or understand it. And so I would have this in my mind, like what's coming, you know? So there'd be some sense of that something's happening. Yeah. Would you be nervous, afraid, unsure? I'm just curious what, what you think you I think like my natural response would be like are you telling us for a reason is something going to happen you know something happen, going to happen to you you know I think I'd be asking those questions you know huh. and I mean I'm sure I'd probably be like wow like this is I mean because we read it now you've heard it before but like having that first time experience I'm sure I'd kind of be like whoa he's praying some powerful things he's telling us some stuff he's doing some unusual things uh, that makes sense. So is my number one better than your number one? Uh, yes. <laughs> I believe he expects me to say yes for sure. I thought you'd say no. Mine's the best. Where's, uh, this, where's this assertive bill that? Uh, he he comes and he goes. Uh, okay. He just happened to leave. All right. My number one is is much is, is very short. It, yes. it may be the shortest uh, verse in the English New Testament. Um, it's John eleven thirty five, which is simply. Jesus wept. I believe, although I'm, I'm still checking about my quick survey through, I think Jesus only is said to have wept twice in the New Testament. Once over Jerusalem and here. Um, so I find that kind of interesting. But this one is the one that strikes me the most. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, that's kind of weird. A short little verse like that would be the most important thing after the resurrection. Uh, to me it is, because I think what's the scene around it? Well, Lazarus has died, and uh, he knew Lazarus was dying, but he waited until he was dead. The disciples didn't get it. He comes back, and Martha meets him and says, If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he goes on to say, You know, I'm the resurrection of life. He that believes in me, though he's dead, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? And then Mary comes out, and she says the same thing. And, and everybody's sad. There's, there's tears. And these are good friends of Jesus. And um, it says Jesus wept. And so I have to ask myself, Why? Well, I don't think he wept for Lazarus because he knew he was going to raise him again. I mean, he knew that was going to happen. And I don't think he necessarily um, wept for their sadness, because their sadness would be turned to joy, and, and I think that was coming. Um, I, I think he wept because he saw the imprint this and felt this 
stench of Satan on the lives of people he cared about, and it touched him, and he and he hated it. And I think that that it wasn't supposed to be like that. That's not how he created things to be. That wasn't supposed to be part of it. And I think he wept just because of uh, the fact that that Satan's work was there, and that awful garbage people have to deal with because of Satan. And even though he was going to fix it, even though he was going to make it right, I think it it bothered him it touched him deeply that people he loved would be negatively impacted by um by satan's work in the world and i i find that very comforting that not only does jesus have power to overcome satan but it bothers him that satan is even for a short time has power i think it it touched him deeply that 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 satan um was able to even affect a little pain on people he loved and if that's how he felt about a little pain that he was going to fix within minutes, mm -hmm. how much more does he care about the pain that, that you and I and everybody else goes through? I think that's pretty cool. That's interesting because I was going to think, I don't know why I didn't think you would answer it, but you did. Like, well, why do you think Jesus wept over it? And you answered the question differently than I expected. You know, typically when people read that, Jesus was sad his friend died. Mm -hmm. but I think it's deeper than that. And I, I wouldn't. And I think I agree with you. Well, I do agree with you because it sounds like Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It seems kind of pointless to cry over a man that's dead that you're about to raise from the dead. Yeah, I don't think that's why. But the idea that he's crying to see the effect of, because death is brought on by Satan. Mm -hmm. Pain is brought on by Satan. So he wept again later on over Jerusalem, who was going to reject him. Again, buying into the, the lie that he wasn't the Messiah. Things that caused Jesus to weep are interesting, I think. So... Pain and suffering is a common thing that people face. Scripture's very clear that there comes pain and suffering with being a follower of Jesus. It's not, there's no guarantee of a lack of those things. It's almost a guarantee that those things will happen. And some people really struggle with that. I had a conversation with a group of people about this kind of last night a little bit about, you know, the conversation that, oh, something happened to me that was really good where something bad that happened. Oh, God is so good. And then, but what do you say to people where they didn't get the outcome, you know, that they wanted? Or they said, so is God not good in that right. situation? That's an awkward spot to be in. Yeah. If you, if when good things happen, you say it's because God is good to me. And when bad things happen, it leaves you in a bad spot. Yeah. And so I left it that night saying, what we need to say is God's good all the time. Every time. No matter what the situation is, God is good. Um. But I really, I, I like, I, I like your answer a lot. It shows that how much Jesus, like, as a parent, when my kid is sad or upset about something that I think's, like, if they, whatever, if it's something real dumb, like their TV show got turned off, I don't care. But, like, certain, like when I discipline my kids and I see the pain in their eyes for me, it's like, oh, man, did I do a bad thing? I don't want to hurt my kids. Mm -hmm. But seeing a, a, a kid severely down, it hurts you as a parent. I would think that things that hurt your kids hurt you even worse. Yeah, and so for Jesus to be in such, to weep, weeping is just like squirt some tears. It's like mm -hmm. your body's uncontrollably crying, you know, and you're emotional. People like, that saw him said, see how he cared. What if, what if he'd have got yeah. here sooner? They didn't understand it. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think he wept because he died. I think he wept for a much deeper reason. You're blowing people's minds, Bill. I don't feel like that's the case. Why not? I just don't think so. So, the most important thing Jesus did was cry like a big baby. Uh, Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. <laughs> you can memorize that one real short. They should, 
That's what they man. What's the NIV thinking? Jesus wept. Jesus cried like a big baby. I feel like that's Aaron Pierce translation. It's a much better translation. I don't know that I would go there. So Jesus cried. Jesus washed the dirt off people's feet and talked about vines and branches. He touched lepers and ate with uh, crooks. And overcame temptation from Satan when he told, turn a rock into bread. And uh, our today society would be Satan saying, turn that rock into a pizza. Pizza would be good choice. cheeseburger. I think pizza would be the one. But if I could turn rocks into food, I'd be a fat man. Well, remember, you turned down a lifetime supply of Sour Patch Kids. I did, because I thought it'd be... And Shaq's a rich man. Maybe he'd give me some money. Like, hey, Shaq, <laughs> hey, can you afford to just give me, like, a lifetime supply of Sour Patch Kids, too? And also, I could ask him for, for tickets to the Rams game you or something. Could. We could, could. See, I'd get everything I wanted. I didn't even think about it. I'd get everything I wanted because I became friends with Shaq and used the resources that he has to expose... expose Whatever that word is, it is a disposal. At disposal, yeah. To help me out. <laughs> See, there you go. See, I, if I, I can set that up for I you and Shaq, I will. The right answer. I'll do the best I can. I just proved I'm not as dumb as I think I am. And uh, we hope you feel that way too. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing.